0: In the 21st century Hard-working people Working
1: hard for you and me Moving
0: higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher
1: Hello and welcome to Moving Higher Podcast number 201 This edition of the Moon Iron Podcast is brought to you by Tractor Zoom Delivering Insights. And I have Rich Posson on here. And Rich is uh, kind enough to come on from time to time, about once a month, to talk about what's going on in the economy. And and since it's the end of the year, I thought, you know what, Rich, it'd be a great time for you to come on and talk about kind of your recap of 20 and then what you see happening in 21. So first off, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. How you been? Have a good holiday season so far?
0: Yes, uh, thank you. And the same to you. I hope you had a good one.
1: Yeah, we had. My kids got a bunch of stuff they probably didn't need, but that's that's Christmas, right? That's how it's supposed <laughs> to work.
0: <laughs> Sports economy. Right.
1: That's right. That's right. Spread the holiday cheer, right? <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, Rich. So let's talk about, you know, 20 was a crazy year. You know, we had all kinds of stuff happen. We've had, you know, the coronavirus put a big, a big uh, kink in, uh, in a lot of different things. We saw corn get down to three bucks um, and it teetered on the point of getting down to, to two 99, a couple days, but didn't quite make it there. Um, we saw a nice rebound back up to where we see commodity prices. Now take a look at the March contract, March 21 contract. I haven't looked at the close here yet today, but when I saw it last, it was like four 66 and a half or something like that. So it's come a long ways. Uh, from where it was in, you know, March and April, uh, in that June timeframe. So I guess as you take a look at all the stuff that's going on here in 20, um, kind of what's your kind of synopsis of what you saw happen with some of your models and, 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 uh, you know, what, what of that stuff came out and, and, and said, Hey, you know what, this is what I thought was going to happen. And you know what, this, there's, uh, some kinks there that I didn't see coming my way.
0: Right. Uh, at the end of every year I do what I call the annual checkup and, uh, try to reevaluate the model see how close they were see if there's anything to learn uh, was there mistakes and this and that and uh, in recent years there really hasn't been much more to learn it's just like the model has been autopilot it's been accurate enough as soon as I try to tweak something to make a difference so we could have uh, skipped a mistake and done something right it's like it, you just get more mistakes popping up so it's like you can only get so accurate it's you know nobody's 100% but it's amazing how accurate you can get. I mean, there's some people out there run 70, 90 percent accuracy past anything, as I know people only run 50 or 60 percent accuracy, and they make more money. So accuracy isn't everything when it comes down to the dollar, but uh, when it comes to overall business and the way we look at things, we like to see a good accuracy. Uh, For 2020, I was very pleased on the economy because I finally got uh, the recession, Um, You know, we started forecasting in 2018 that we got to look for a U.S. recession in 2018 to 2020. And I even said for for the global uh, economies as well. And in 2018, you could see evidence of deteriorating global economies, and it got rather severe uh, in 2019, and then just plain plummeted uh, for some economic indicators in 2020 because of the virus. If we hadn't had the virus, obviously, it would not have been such a uh, severe recession. The U.S. kind of flip-flopped a lot from 2018 to 2019. We thought we're on our way for a recession, so then it would rebound. The Federal Reserve would come in and interfere, pump some more money, and it would rebound on some indicator, yet should have another indicators still deteriorating and uh, it really come down to the final wire because the model had been saying for many years, even as far back as 2009, the model was saying Uh, 2020 is your latest year for a recession that the economy should peak out and therefore the stock market commodities many other markets you should have a problem and we got it we got the recession we got a more severe recession than I saw coming Uh, that doesn't bother me there's nothing to learn there from that Uh, all it does is make the model more right because we were looking for a recession and there was right time for it Uh, it turned out to be a bloody recession because such a severe virus it was more of a Man-made recession, and um, I, I'm perfectly willing to even call it a depression. Now uh, I know Ben Bernanke over at uh, you know when he used to be with the Fed. Many of his ideas kind of related to what I was doing in model research on these depressions, recessions. He always thought that hey, you know, if you have a depression, the last ten years, it's you just get too many stops, starts. It's a real struggle to get things back to to uh, to work again. And so his thoughts here during 2020 was this is not a a depression. But uh, gosh, you know, when you see whatever our unemployment was, what's happened to some of the lower middle class and the poor and this and that, uh, you know, there's just measurements out there saying, wow, we haven't seen that, you know, for decades. It does go back to the ages of the 1800s, early 1900s of depressions. Uh, I think we've seen a new type of depression, frankly. Uh, But fortunately... We've had enough faith in the money printing uh, to get out there and still try to hang on to our jobs, do business, consume, spend money, invest. And it has pulled us back faster than what we've seen in a lot of recessions and depressions. So it was a, a significant turnaround for at least the stock market, of course, but for yeah. probably half the economy, it was a very fast turnaround. The other half, not so fast. Uh, we do have a K-structured economy. Okay, and There's one part of the economy is moving up and one part's been moving down. I think the part that's moving down is hitting a bottom. I like the stimulus package that it was just recently signed here. Uh, they may have to do more in early next year, but my guess is by late next year, we're going to learn, we hey, we've made it. We survived it. We don't need to do more and we're all gonna get on the same page eventually here, and that's gonna be the best growing economy. So here we have an analysis that basically says the economy grows for seven to 12 years. You have a recession for one to three years. Uh, recessions, the true recession within that one to three years may only last five, six months. And in the stock market, apparently in the last two months, which was record setting, but again, you had some fuzzy m- things going on there with all the money printing, right? Uh, change things compared to prior generations. Uh, with that pattern, we can see that pattern has worked going back 150, 200 years, basically the history for this country. And it just looks like it's, it's worked again. We've seen it. Uh, I call it the major long-term business cycle. And we're set now for 7 to 12 years of growth, in my opinion. And I don't have a clear picture how good it's going to be. But as I look out over the next four years, I think we'll see GDP average three and a half to four and a half percent. That's going to be better. That's almost double what we've seen. And uh, the recent four years, it's probably getting back towards early Obama years and maybe a portion of George W. Bush's uh, years. So you can see there's structure there to, to give us a nice GDP. Now, some people say, well, I'm too low. Well, I'm talking what I think can average for the whole four years within that. I don't doubt we're going to see five to 6%, say, for a single year or some kind of estimate during the year gets that high. And I want to say that we could see that best GDP, the highest GDP up in the five to 6% area actually occur next year. Um, The only thing that worries me is being too bold. (laughs) I don't want to be overconfident of that. I want to be too bold about that. I see a possibility the first year of any president that just got elected and comes in for the first time. He's, he's got to get his show together. He's got to get his act together. He's got to get his people. And so you really don't see a lot of the programs kick into like the second year or later. And so I, I could see how this virus and stuff lingers on, that it's still a struggle in 2021, but the economy will still grow. I still think I'll do at least 3% anyways. And then we'll get that 5 to 6% maybe in the second year, third year, and we'll still average three and a half, four and a half over the four years. But I see a moment of uh, maybe optimism that we'll get a sudden surge in 2021, uh, that that GDP just really jumps right up there right off the bat and then tapers off for the remaining four years. Uh, so that's kind of my scenario to be optimistic of the economy here, even though, we, yes, we're still fighting the virus. And as far as my virus model, uh, Months ago, I made a comment. I think it was September. I said, okay, it's bottom. We've got an up move and it's probably going to top out for virus cases around Thanksgiving to the week of December 18th and no later. Well, believe it or not, on the coronavirusbellcurve.com website tonight, I noticed their highest number of cases was on December 18th. (laughs) So not only got the week, but I didn't realize it would actually be the day. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be higher cases later. Uh, my problem is the mall is kind of stuck in, a, in the middle here. It's kind of saying, well, you know, that top could occur in November. The higher high by December 18th means we're going to have even more cases in January. And, hey, it is wintertime. It's a cold-based uh, virus. In other words, it performs better then. So we could still have serious problems here in the next 30, 45 days of rising cases. But there's also that possibility, maybe this thing's going to calm down for the next month or two, and I, I don't know how to deal with it. I mean, if we see cases suddenly just drop to 150,000 per day, we probably got the top on December 18th for a while, and we'll just be praying. Hey, it's all over long term that, that we've we've got it done. Um, obviously, if it goes above that December 18th high, we know it's a brand new trend, and then we got to be cautious. That uh, is it going to be a runaway trend? Another wave higher of more cases. As I look at the stock market, economy, the commodities. not so sure they're that concerned over these viruses they didn't like the news that we got a new version of it a second version of covid um but there's still much to learn about it it's showing up and what was i reading tonight it just showed up oh in india so we had the uk then it went to france i probably missed a couple other countries there but at least tonight i heard it uh, they just found it in uh, india as well so um you know we got to be mindful uh, that something could set this off again. But overall, I like what I see on the economy side here that I think uh, I think we're going to have a good economy in 2021. Uh, now, I've been asked about some big names uh, out there in Wall Street uh, and banking communities and whatnot. They were saying we're on the verge of a 1920s. And the 1920s was when middle class were able to get a little taste of what the rich were doing. They were able to invest in the stock market. They were able to leverage their stock market investments. They made a lot of money, some of them. Uh, some of them really didn't accomplish much of anything. But it was generally good business and a kind of a happy time uh, for the country. And uh, granted, with the amount of money printing going on here, uh, we start knocking out 5% or six GDP. You get that inflation to stay above 2% for a while. and less interest rates just scream higher, which would spoil the party, is, uh, then I would say as long as interest rates rise somewhat, I'm happy. And I think that's actually a good sign, not a bad sign. But I don't want interest rates to explode either. <laughs> so right. that, would sh- that would shoot us in the foot. But it looks like we have the ingredients here that, for all I know, yes, this could be uh, a very good decade. No matter which political party running the show, I can just see the overall structure of the consumers and uh, businesses that the uh, amount of money that's been printed out there, uh, we could make this uh, move. And so, again, I got a positive outlook here on the economy. And for quite some time, there's going to be twists and turns along the way. Hopefully, I can catch some of those and be of some value along the way. But I'm pretty confident of uh, of how this model has worked for the history of this country. and. Going to stay with it, and uh, and here's hoping for still uh, better days. Now, that's the economic picture. What does the economic picture relate to, like, stock market and commodities? I'll do the stock market first, I think, because uh, the commodities, we can also get into some weather stuff. But on the stock market, fantastic performance this year. Most of it was just because of fantastic reset meaning i have a signal only occurs once a decade and basically i just dump everything i get out of all my stock investments and i was just fortunate to get out near the top in february crashed bought it two days after the bottom you know and i didn't know for sure it was long-term bottom i just said this is the first opportunity it could be the we could have several for a year before we work our way out of this mess but the point is This is a good price. This is the first signal. Got to take it. See what happens. And lo and behold, market went to a new record high, which proves, hey, that business cycle is right. You got your recession. You got your collapse. Now, brand new bull market. It's over and done with. And, And stock market can lead the economy by six months, and the economy can lead by several months compared to some of the middle class and poor, by the way, which is why I think by late 2021, we'll see that lower side of that K the other foot that's dropped off here hasn't got back onto the stage.' Um, they're, they're gonna get there we'll, we'll get everybody on the same page in, in late 2021. So for me the stock market um, you know it's today it seems to correlate better with that seven to twelve year growth phase and the one to three year recession uh, than it did like a hundred and some years ago and a lot and quite often you hear people saying, I hate the stock market. I can't, I can't figure it out. It has nothing to do with fundamentals, it has nothing to do with economy. Well, on a short-term basis, I think that's more true than ever. I get it. And and fortunately, I've designed my models to deal with that so I can make money short-term as well and stay, stay with them. But on that specific kind of long-term basis, I see a better correlation today than not in terms of the duration. Of the trend, how long does that bull market last? Which is basically about a decade, and the direction, okay, and the percent return—it's in line better than ever. And the reason is, I think the marketplace has better data than ever before, has a better understanding how the economies work, and somehow long term, it's able to keep that that correlation going, perhaps better than ever. Even though on a short term basis, sometimes it looks confusing. You know, why are they doing that? They're doing opposite of what. Uh, all the statistics and the modeling would say. And fortunately, my model's been able to keep up with that, though, saying, okay, it's time for them to head the other direction. They shouldn't be doing it, but they're going to do it anyways, and they're going to get away with it. (laughs) So it's been very helpful uh, short-term. So what I've done is I took a look at history politically, and since 1980, I learned that when a Democrat, uh, when you have a president as a Democrat, during that four-year period, any four-year period, um, really the return's been like double of that of Republicans. Now, that doesn't mean the Republicans didn't have good times. It just means it was more a wider range. The Republicans had some negative times when four years ended with a net loss in the stock market. And that usually coincided with recessions. Bear markets had coincided with that downside of that major long-term cycle. So they just happened to show up at the wrong time on the wrong side of that cycle, whereas the Democrats were fortunate to be on the, on the good side of the cycle. But it was fascinating. I think the, the Republican side averaged 23% return over four years for all the four-year periods going back to 1980, and yet the uh, Democrats were like 72% or something like that. I think the Republicans are closer to 30% now. I think about it, 30% and 72%. Big difference. Um, this time around, what I'm going to do come the end of January, I'm going to take the closing price, the S&P 500 uh, in January, I'm going to add 53% to it, and that's going to be my minimum target for the upside in the stock market over the next four years uh, with the assumption that history can repeat. Now, nobody knows and never knows for sure history can repeat. It usually rhymes as, as Mark Twain once said. Um, so, you know, maybe we get a new statistic and it won't be that good, but is it going to be like zero or minus or 10 or 20? Well, unless, uh, we get five more of these pandemics or an asteroid hits the world, I would say, no, there's a good chance it's going to be a positive return over the next four years. And, uh, but maybe it can be a new statistic and not as strong, but it could be the best under the Democrats was 81 percent over four years. It's pretty yes. impressive. So that all fits with my structure. And again, that's only a specific kind of statistic. It doesn't get into the economy. In fundamentals. It's just an observation. But I, as I look at it, it looks like those better times for both Republicans and Democrats, you got a better start market when you were coming up out of a recession. And especially if we printed money to help pull us up out of the recession. Well, we did all those things, which brings us to the dollar. Uh, the dollar's That's going. dollar's next going.
1: Question.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, the dollar, you know, of course, it's been down all year, basically. It's had a very nice decline. Well, the other thing is I've seen a lot of discussions of uh, people watching the uh, Swiss franc and the Vietnam currency and a few others versus the dollar, and they're getting all shook up about some of the things that are going on. So then I said, well, I, uh, most of the time, I only look at the, only, the dollar index itself. But I went through and looked through like 20 different currencies. And I said, you know something back in 2009, when we were pulling up out of the recession from 2009 to 2011. Uh, The dollar was basically lower, at least stable, and against those currencies, you could see those currencies moving higher. And I said, I think that's got some function to go with this business cycle And here, we're repeating the same thing. It's not as volatile. It's not as crazy. But the the particular cyclical downturn we just recently saw in the recession was not as important, in theory, as as the super cycles back in 2008, 2009. So I'm saying, okay. so the dollar isn't dropping as fast as it did back then. But so what? It's got the same direction, same timing relative to how our economy is progressing, I think this is a positive sign, yes, we are working our way out of recession, but I also think it means we got a little more time going down for the dollar. And so some of these banks, like Citi, saying 20% drop in 2021 or something like that, you know, I I, I still think they're overreacting a bit. I won't rule it out. It's it's now on my table, on my desk. I'll I'll consider it. Uh, I think we're on the way to 88 to 85. I think we're going to see 88 here very soon. Uh, in the index. I, I do see the dollar index popping up by February. And February is going to be a funny time. I, I think we're going to see maybe some problems in commodities, the stock market, uh, interest rates may or not interest rates, but the bond market may pop up a bit. Interest rates would, would drop then. And that could be a sign that, yeah, we got some bad news coming by February, but I think frankly, it's just going to be another buy opportunity in the stock market. I don't think the commodities are going to fall apart much at all, but there could be some kind of hiccup coming here in uh, in february and we may see the dollar pop a little which might bring down the commodities but for 2021 my guess is we still got lower dollar coming i'm still a long-term bear i, I think the machine if you will is basically repeating just what we did when we come up out of 2009 and and i found some other recessions, same story the dollar started moving down a few years after pulling out of uh out of recession. And that should support the U.S. economy, at least on our export side of goods and services, including commodities. So, uh, so yeah, here I am. You know, I reviewed the stock market model, I've reviewed the uh, economy model, and it's just saying, leave it alone, don't touch anything. And and I like the forecast. And I think we're seeing the evidence to back it up here. And it's As always, it's going to be an interesting decade, but it's going to be a different decade than what we've seen in the past 40 years, I think, just because I think interest rates are turning up on a super cycle where interest rates, I don't think they're going to scream higher by no means, but I I think they can move higher over the next 15, 25 years. I think you've got a Federal Reserve changing their attitude, saying they're not going to be so scared of higher interest rates uh, as long as inflation's up, but as long as that inflation it's not necessarily just runaway commodity prices and runaway labor. It's it's just more of hey everybody's getting paid a little better. I, I don't think they're going to raise interest rates to to kind of knock it down. They're, they're going to give it more room than ever before. They don't want to upset the card here, so uh, we do have to be looking out for things that uh, that we've been trained for for the last twenty or forty years that is going to start swinging differently. Some of the old timers in commodities, if they're still around, they may be able to recall those days. And, uh, and of course, those days were of more inflation and, and better commodities. So with that, yes, I'm dollar, bullish the economy, bullish the stock market. So what about those commodities? Because <laughs> we've gone through seven years of yeah. eroding prices, uh, best you could say, for like corn. And, and corn and wheat in 2016 put in a major business cycle bottom. And even though some people say, boy, it hasn't done much. Well, really, wheat, wheat's behaved much differently than the prior 20 years. Uh, we're not seeing on the fun side the bears saying, well, you always sell wheat. Do nothing but sell wheat. They don't. They don't do that anymore. They look at both sides, and you know they always used to say, "Well, if I'm buying corn and soybeans, sell wheat." Well, they do that on a really short-term basis still, but um, it's it's not much. Something something has changed. Changed the attitude there, and I'm not so sure I can explain that. But uh, but I can explain it in terms of the business cycles, in terms of production. It does make sense there to me. So. Here's what I feel on like on the soybean side. The soybeans did not put in that major business cycle back in 2016. We've had way, I shouldn't say way too much supply, but we've had more supply than demand and a weight on the soybean market to just cap it, not necessarily drive it lower, But it just took away the upside of soybeans. And that may have actually also taken away the upside for commodities in general, because everything's somewhat interrelated, okay? There's entanglement, even though there's also the microeconomics for each commodity, of course. But uh, to me, the soybeans probably put in that major long-term business cycle this year, bottom, that is. And now we got all three grains on the same page. And so, how, you know, and this helps to explain why we've seen strong prices since August. And fortunately, from my modeling, I told my subscribers in August, "Hey, we got to be long-term bullish, at least corn, probably wheat, and we better start thinking about soybeans. If this could be what we've been watching for for a few years now. It's finally here. Well, then look at that trend <laughs> for the, into this the December here. You know, right straight up, basically." Yeah. And I I think they're overreacting, dialing in too much of inflation, but the point is it's there, it's on their table, it's on their desk, it's in their modeling, it's in their strategies, and I'm a full agreement with them. And and then so what they're just saying, if we had that inflation that makes prices more buoyant. It doesn't necessarily have to drive them up huge amounts like in the 1970s. That was more of a super cycle top getting way, way out of hand. But you can have more buoyancy. Well, then add just your normal supply-demand fluctuation when suddenly things get tighter or you get a supply crunch from a crop problem. That even adds more fire to it. And that's backing up saying, that well, that's even yet another reason to, to own some commodities here. So, I, I think they're getting excited that, hey, we just went through this uh, recession and it was a terrible thing. A lot of people died. It was a totally different kind of recession we've ever seen. Um, and, and I agree with some of these uh, even billionaires like Ray Dalio. I, I I follow Dalio, but I'm not so sure I've seen this specific forecast. But tonight there were people tweeting saying, well, Dalio blaze, we got a 1929, 20 scenario coming here. Um <clears throat> You know, just for,
1: for, the me, economy I, for the economy as a whole. What's that? Well, I mean, in, in the 1920s, the ag economy wasn't all that. Roaring. It wasn't, all that, good. It wasn't all that great. That's right.
0: Yeah. Uh, you actually had, if I remember right, you had like cattle market was doing very well where the grains were not. Uh, the grains right. had, I yep. think the grains peaked out in 1919, 1920 or something like that. Uh, yep. Probably probably closer to 1918 uh, pandemic, actually. <laughs> so you were getting a split economy. It was, it was still more of the Wall Street kind of thing in the 1920s uh, and the people working in service industries, but you were also building way too many factories and the latest technology. So it was trickling through hiring people and paying them well, you know. Uh, Agriculture, not so well, right? So it was more of a technology thing in the 1920s. So we want to watch out for that. But this time around though, with this kind of inflation, if you could put some crop problems in there, at least the agricultural community should get a few years out of this decade, a few years out of those 1920s. Let's say that <laughs> yeah. that they that they get get an explosive run. So so when when if commodities are only going to get a slice of say what's going to occur for the decade, a slice of this 1920 scenario people are throwing out there, um, when will that occur? And I and I think you you need that crop problem on top. Yes, we're getting inflation. Yes, we're getting. Uh, Growing global economy now, the the indicators are showing they've already pulled out of the recession for the world, uh, that they had problems from 2018 to 2020, Uh, and and, and a very abrupt turnaround, I must say, uh, for the global economy, which is nice. So that's inspiring everybody. And there is something about when you have these kind of disasters like we've just gone through with the pandemic. uh, people think differently when it's over. It's kind of like they're just glad to be alive and it's like, they're going to spend. They're going <laughs> to enjoy life. So all of these things can trickle in. Again, I don't want to say that's what's going to drive you know corn another two bucks higher or anything like that. I think what it does mean is it's very unlikely you're going to see below 350, 350 corn anytime soon, it's going to be buoyant. We're, we're established some better floor prices. We kind of wash things out and panic things enough going into May to August here in the US uh, for our corn futures. So, But here on the modeling of weather, uh, climate, uh, crop yield, crop production, I'm coming up with what I've said for years now, You know, we're due for a problem 2021 to 2024. And we got a La Nina that you know, I think it's impacting Argentina, but you can argue Argentina has some problems almost every year. But I think La Nida's making it could be making it worse. We don't know. Argentina takes them a very long time to plant and harvest, and so they're very long growing season when you look at the whole country. Um, you know, it may take a while to wake up whether they truly have something serious. But the point is, where I look at it, at least Argentina, you can say, okay, there's a problem there. Brazil. You really, can't say there's a problem there. I've seen pictures of some of the fields. I've seen some of the issues. It seems more of a corn and bean problem, but there's issues there. And there's still time, especially in the next 30 days here, that you could take a hit. And, you know, it seems like people have been ratcheting that Brazil soybean production number aggressively higher. <laughs> so sooner or later, somebody's got to be wrong. Right. Uh, so you know, to me, we could still get some bullish stories coming out of there, and and is the market dialing that in now? I I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something going on where somebody with the biggest amount of money and can really weigh on the market that they've got this all figured out. Yes, there is an issue there, and nobody's seeing enough yet, and it is coming. I don't think that's entirely story. I think it's just a piece of the puzzle, and I think it's this whole inflation, money printing. Hey, it's time for commodities come back. And commodities do better after recession. You get your economy back on track. And they're putting all these pieces together. And they're just saying, why wouldn't you buy commodities at these levels? You know? Yeah. Now, all right, so let's,
1: I got a question about that, Rich. Okay. So let's talk about, okay, so that January, the January ending stock report is coming out uh, here, you know, whatever, next two or three weeks, whenever it comes out. And they've had plenty of time unlike past years to really go in and check and see what that, that in going stocks gonna look like, what, what was the actual harvest in the U S what, what did that actually look like? So you got ending stocks report coming out in January, you got this, this, uh, harvest pressure, um, drought pressure down in Brazil and Argentina, corn, and soybeans. Um, I mean, what's your, what's your reaction to that? I mean, how, what, how do you think that's going to start playing into, do you feel like there's, there's uh, uh, I don't want to say, use the word explosion, because that's not what I'm looking for. But, I mean, do you see $5 corn in 21? Do you see five fifty corn in 21? I mean, what what's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a tricky thing, because I can't tell. Is 21 really our crop problem here? If we rule out the U.S. and just look at where we are now, um I, I I boy at this level I think there is a chance to see 5 bucks by summer and 2021. Um I wouldn't be surprised if it was going to try to get it there before summer and then the, then it's going to be a real problem that don't get the crop problem it comes down during summer while you're still trying to gamble is do we have a problem or don't we you know uh, right. so we want to be looking out for early tops i don't know what to expect out of the january report because they focused so much especially back in september saying gosh they really should not show us a record yield in corn and i got that right okay they didn't do it now the problem is i don't know how i'll think if you know what they put it back up to a record i don't think they're going to do it for anything oh. I, wouldn't, it's, I think it comes lower frankly right uh, Agreed. so yeah. so you know and here's here's the interesting thing with the corn model it's really saying uh and this is the kind of things we discuss for our subscribers here, but the model right at the moment, it was saying, okay, you got a chance for available demand to back off in December. Available supply is going to remain tight right through the end of the year, but that demand can bring grains down. Well, we got a little blip here and there. Nothing really happened. Next thing we know, we're going up. And then the models just firing off red alert signals saying, wow, that available demand's back. It's stronger than anticipated. You still got the available supply you got to get bowled up again here we go again so fortunately what was it two weeks ago one higher prices than a week ago i said wow here's some new upside targets for you in soybeans look out and well it has met those objectives but you know what <laughs> i got still higher ge- objectives generated tonight that i'll be informing subscribers of, uh tomorrow um uh, the model suggesting that uh, really the grain prices should stay up into late January, early February. And the interesting thing is that's the way it is for a lot of commodities. I'm kind of surprised how many commodities have evolved in just the last two or three weeks to come up with the same forecast. That warns me, yes, probably you're getting, a, you're getting that commercial side saying, you know what? Maybe it is time for better margins, better prices. Maybe it is time to put things up. We're going to get through this recession. But more importantly, it's probably the on the future side would be the funds- we're also dialing in that. Now, here's the point. You use this for reverse modeling. If the grain markets are going to remain firm into late January, that's a warning. We are probably not going to get a bearish January report. And even if it's bearish, for some strange reason, it's not going to last. It's not going to make a much of an impact. And if anything, it of course, leaves the door open for a bullish. So to me, I'm more confident right today in making the price forecast that uh, we can have stronger prices in late January than I am Forecast of what'll go off that January report, but that's encouraging me to then say, you know what, U.S. State's probably going to be in line with the model saying they're not going to throw something bad at us to break that trend. Well, Will would be right? I don't know, but I've gone through this ten thousand times in thirty years, and all I can tell you is I got confident enough to just keep going with it. <laughs> that's right. the best I can do, right? Yep. So to me, so to me, I want to be optimistic here for the start of the year. And commodities, and it'll be very interesting because there's old timers out there who say, hey, if you can get a strong January in the stock market and some of these commodity markets, that that can be a sign of the environment for the year. Don't know how well that really works, but I got to tell you, it's always discussed year after year. (laughs) So I'll keep an eye on it as well. So here's how I look at that. To me, the grains are in a minor uh, long-term business cycle that will not top out to summer. Uh, And I mean, that cycles up. So, what that tells us is be on the lookout for more bullish fundamentals or supply and demand picture. And at the very least, of course, uh, rising prices or at least firm, stable prices. You don't go down to your historical lows for some reason. Then look at your seasonal trend. Normally, things like corn and soybeans bottom out the first week, October, they'll head higher into summer. Now, when I say normal, that's just an average. And you can dig deeper and find out really doesn't work as often as you'd like to see. Well, when you see that, just go ahead and compare it to the actual fundamentals and look at our S&Ds. Everything's tightened up in the last three months. That says if there's any truth to a seasonal, it should work this time around, okay? It should show that average performance, and that average performance is up until about June. So that's warning us that we really ought to err on the side of looking for bullish uh, fundamentals to continue for a while here. Yes, we've already dialed in quite a few of what we've seen here. Yes, I think the grains are a little ahead of themselves on the inflation story. But the point is, it's really how I'm balancing everything out is it's a warning, let's keep looking for that next bullish story, something different to add to it, okay? And then of course, when we get into summer, we have to ask that billion dollar question of, are we gonna get a great crop and is going down the harvest or not, right? Right. But, yeah. but right today, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm know. i sure the feed user has been uh, hurt here. And if they paid my attention to my signal in August, they should have had some stuff bought ahead um, and have been uncomfortable for them. But, uh, hey, that's the way the pendulum swings right at the moment. Uh, the sell side is uh, in better of control of things here right now.
1: OK, so one, one other thing I'll touch on as we watch commodity prices go up. <clears throat> excuse me as we watch commodity prices go up in value over the last um you know 30 to 60 days um the oil market's done the exact same thing i mean it was it was banging around that that 39 to 42 dollar range and um now we're almost up to you know right now we're at 48 dollars and 26 cents a barrel um we're knocking on that 50 dollar a barrel phase which is uh that really brings back in a lot of a lot of uh, U.S. production, you know, from fracking and, and those kind of things. So, <clears throat> oil, shale, and those kind of things. What's your thoughts on oil, and 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 how is that going to affect the economy in twenty one?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think it can hurt. The, well, I should I suppose I should be a little cautious. In my opinion, normally oil will not hurt the economy until it's eighty bucks. But let's face it, we're trying, we're just pulling out of a recession now, right? Right. So. I, don't, I think you. I still think you got to at least get it over sixty bucks to hurt the economy. Um, it's more of a gut feeling than scientific analysis, <laughs> but I'll, that's that's what I'll go with. Um, so I'm not too concerned. I'm, I'm pleased it finally went over forty four bucks. I said, "Gee whiz, it's got, I got to get it over forty four bucks, and and then this thing should should move still higher from there." And we've got it. The model here again, it's its rather bizarre how crude oil kind of shifted in line with the, uh, the grains. I'm seeing things like sugar, coffee, cocoa, cotton, especially cotton. Yep. They're shifting more in line with the grains. And I'm saying, oh my gosh, are, you know, is everybody doing the same thing? That's just bizarre. But I've seen this several times over 30 years actually, but it's still always kind of amazing thing to see that you get them all in line. And they're all showing that commodities should do fairly well into to late January. I will say heating oil can top out ahead of gasoline by a little bit. That's more of a seasonal thing, not too bit of a, a concern here. And I must say the forecast right at the moment from the model is that even if there's some selling late January and February in crude oil, gasoline, heating oil, I think, um, I, I think it'll be a minor thing because at least on the gasoline side, it should still be higher in March, April. That can support ethanol. And last week, I told subscribers, hey, we got to watch out here. It's time for a bottom. Well, I kind of fell asleep at the wheel. And tonight, I was looking at the chart. And I thought, holy smokes, <laughs> it just it popped last week right by the end of the week. That, that might have something to do with some chart roll over. i have to double check. But it looks like we got, got a bottom in ethanol. Now, I'm not convinced ethanol can be a major driver of corner. At least I haven't been for some time. But see, you get these bull markets going. And it's like, OK, we, we followed this piece of evidence or news or whatever it is, now we need something new, well, it's amazing how that something shows up. They may want to refocus and say, you know what? Ethanol is doing pretty good price-wise. That is helping out. They can bid higher. You know, uh, I wouldn't get too excited over that, but I, it does look like ethanol can, can be supported here, uh, kind of drag its feet at least, would say gasoline and, and crude oil. So again, I'm, I'm still bullish a little bit here for a few weeks in crude oil. I do think there'll be a setback, but uh, I think we're going to see higher later. And I think I think most of the commodities in Wall Street stock market, they're looking at crude oil as more of an economic indicator, more than anything. And I don't know. I, I think it's going to have to get over 60 bucks before they say, OK, you're hurting the consumer and we haven't got this economy going that good. You know. Right. But uh, right today, I would not be uh, I would not be concerned of that, if anything. I think Wall Street's saying, well, we'd like to see a little firmer crude oil prices here that suggest there's some optimism that there's some money flowing, that they can get better margins that may well be a sign, yes, the economy is coming back.
1: So do you think as the economy opens up more with now we've got the the vaccinations that are available and those kind of things, and more people are more confident to maybe go out and take that summer vacation or or you know pay, maybe take that spring break trip or something like that, do you feel like that oil could have a higher demand and we could see something getting up in the, in the mid to high fifties.
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, Boy, on the travel side, I'm already from some of my sources hearing that some bookings are improving people getting optimistic. They they're going to want to get out there and do something uh, this summer. So uh, right today, from what I understand, yes, they don't think the demand that's being projected for summertime gasoline demand is as good as they want. But the market for the moment is saying, yeah, I'm okay with it. I, I got a feeling the analysts are going to have to ratchet up uh, gasoline demand a bit. I, I don't have a number for you. I don't know how much. I just think it's going to improve somewhat. And again, again, it has to do with this psychological thing with when you have a disaster, something like a pandemic and people you know, people have cabin fever, <laughs> they want to get out and do something. And uh, yeah, unless this virus, for some strange reason, is just really super strong this summer, uh, I think we're going to have a good summer economy. So, <clears throat>
1: Right on, man. Well, hey, Rich, good stuff as usual. A lot of great information there. Anything else you want to make sure people know about before we shut down the podcast for the night?
0: Uh, no, there's nothing on my – I'm just waiting to wrap up the year. And uh, hopefully, like I say, uh, I'll be warning my subscribers sometime going into late January, February on some signals here for all these markets, commodities, and stock market. But overall, I think we're on track for what we're looking for for 2021. And that's a reason to be optimistic prices at the moment.
1: Right on. Okay. Rich, where's the best place for folks to listen to your uh, your podcast and subscribe to what you're doing?
0: Uh, Go to criticalpointpodbean.com.
1: criticalpointpodbean.com.
0: Correct. And okay. uh, popping is the host and a critical point is my page and you'll see a list of uh, all the podcasts and you click on those and if they're not free, you'll see a little subscriber thing to, to sign up. And on the subscription side, we talk about the economy and uh, all the crops and uh, major commodities And of course, the stock market. I give a variety of signals from short term to all the way uh, all all to the long term. And by the way, I want to make a little announcement. I almost forgot this. Uh, For 2021, I've been asked by followers, subscribers, to maybe manage a few accounts in the stock market forum. And I've been in discussion with a company to help set this up. And uh, so, uh, anybody who's interested. want me to manage money for them uh they need to contact me at rich at ag-financial.com and by the way you can use that email if you have a question about my uh podcast or the markets uh but that's something uh i think i'm going to expand into for uh 2021 uh um, it's great man
1: you can use some of those some of those uh charts and stuff that you've got there and a lot of your models and stuff that'll that have been proven to yep. really be winners there
0: that's right that's right
1: that's good stuff that's good stuff well, that's great, Rich. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and I will uh, I will talk to you next year, man. Very good. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me, check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcasts that come out. Also, check out my website, movingironllc.com, and you find all the great information about Moving Iron Summit and everything else that has to do with Moving Iron Podcasts as well. Uh, the Moving Iron Summit has been postponed from the uh, January 20th through 22nd uh, time frame that we had scheduled there. It's been moved to September 15th through the 17th. Same hotel, same information. Um, if you have any questions or want to get more information about that, go to movingironllc.com and click on the Moving Iron Summit tab, and it'll get you the information there. Or you can shoot me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. So until next time, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Bosson. Let's go, this morning, folks. Out.
0: Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard working people working
1: hard for you and me. Moving
0: higher time and time again. Through the years, you'll find us here. Moving higher